Good morning, church. I've had a few comments about my tie already, so anybody else says another word, we'll be talking out in the parking lot. I'm going to lose this blue coat. It's maybe a little bit too much, okay? It's a privilege to be here once again. It's weird not wearing a microphone and hear it boom, but I hope this will pick us up. I bring you greetings from Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Placerville. Uh, we pray for you often. We think of you often, and I especially like coming here often. Um, I am covering Brett Wagner this morning. You had him for three weeks. You've got to be fed up with him. So I don't know whether you've upgraded or downgraded, but I'll leave that up to your discretion once we're finished. Um, it almost wasn't going to be me here this, this morning. You ever felt like you've gone 12 rounds and you're, at that, you're on the ropes and you think one more punch is going to do you in? That's the week that your preacher has had. So if I stand up here and blubber and cry, it's all right. Don't feel sorry for me. The Lord is taking me through what I'm about to preach to you this morning. I believe God, in the most reverent sense that I can say it, has a sense of humor. He took a proud Irish man, and all week he's humbled him. He's took him through storms. He's took him into deep valleys. But he's still there. I get to come here and worship with you this morning. And what a joy and a delight it is to sing to our great God, to pray to him, but to be in fellowship with you guys. Don't take it for granted. Appreciate it, love one another, and help one another. This is a community of God's saints, and praise God for it. So this morning we've already read our passage, so I'm not going to read it again. There are no nice words that I'd like to say with my brogue, so good job. But this morning, our text finds us and finds the Lord Jesus at the end of a very long and a difficult day. During those long hours, Jesus indeed had the confrontation with the Pharisees. Some of his own friends and family had thought that he had lost his mind and had even tried to kidnap him. During the latter part of the day, Jesus sat in a little boat because of the great crowd, and he used it as a pulpit to preach to that vast people. And when the day had ended, he called those men who were with him, those disciples, and he told them, hey, come on, let's get in the boat, and let's go and set sail to the other side. Nighttime came. And it found those disciples rowing that boat across that lake. And Jesus lay fast asleep in the stern. Now the Lord's disciples were accustomed to being on the sea. Remember who they were. They were fishermen. And while they rowed for that other side, what happened? A great storm arose. And it engulfed their boat. And those men were fighting, as it were, for their very lives. That storm threatened to destroy the disciples and Christ that night. But you might want to think of that storm as a superstorm. That storm had unusual power. 
It was intense. It terrified these men to their core. But remember who they were. They were fishermen. They should have been accustomed to these things. Yet this storm, that night, terrified these men so much that they thought they were going to lose their life. As I was studying this passage, it reminded me on storms that we would have in Northern Ireland that would batter up against the north coast. We'd say to our, I'd say to my wife, hey, it's a pretty windy day. That's weird sense of humor. But I'd say to my wife, hey, come on, it's a windy day. Let's go to the coast. Because at the coast, there's this thing, it's called the blue hole. And it's the way that the rocks have been formed that when the waves come in, it blows up like a wheel does. And if you're standing right at the cliff's edge, it kind of sprays you. I somehow found joy in that and thought that was really cool, but you know. But the storms that battered my homeland and were intense is the same kind of storm that these disciples faced that night. Wind and rain and intensity. And in that storm, in the darkness of that night, that terrifying night, they experienced something. They experienced the Lord's power to deliver them. And this morning, we're just like them. They found themselves in a hopeless situation for what they thought was no escape. And what they experienced that night has much, oh, let me tell you, it has much to teach us. Because just as our brother prayed, it taught me a lot this week. The disciples found themselves in a powerful, overwhelming storm. They feared for their lives. But there's hope. In a day and age when it seems there is no hope, stop, take a deep breath, and realize that there is a greater hope than you can ever imagine. We all find ourselves in storms from time to time. Everyone sitting here is on a journey. The redeemed are sailing, as it were, to a heavenly home. May it come quick. But there's another group of people, and that's the lost, those who do not know Christ. And they too are sailing towards a place, hell. And as we sail, as we're in our life's vessel, storms arise. And they threaten to undo us. Often like the disciples, we come to believe that storms will destroy us. But I want to remind you this morning, brothers and sisters, that if you're found in Christ, then the storms are not sent to destroy you, but to develop you. The storms of life may grind you at times. They may take you to low, deep places. But the Lord uses them for his glory and for us to honor him. He uses them to grow us. And no matter how severe or how intense your storm is this morning, it's not hopeless. Even those of you who are already beginning to switch off, sometimes my accent does me no favors. And you're already doubting. 
Just a few moments ago, we prayed for young people. So those of you who are young, we prayed for you. That perhaps you wouldn't be a distraction or that we'd have things for you to do. But you know what? Praise God that you're sitting here. I don't care. Parents, you can talk to me afterwards, but I don't care if they make a ton of noise or what they do. What a privilege it is to have young people sitting under God's word. And for you this morning, there is hope. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, there is hope. If you do know Christ as your Savior and you're going through storms, there is hope. The hope is Jesus Christ and Him alone. And so this morning, as I hope to come and encourage you, as this passage is done for me, we're going to do it under three main headings. I'm sorry for my huge water bottle, but I drink a lot of water while I preach. So three headings. Those of you who are taking notes, you can write one, two, three while I take a drink. First of all, we're going to look at the realities of this storm. Verse 37 tells us that the storm was unexpected. Mark tells us that there arose a great storm of wind. Now, storms like this, if you've ever been to Galilee, which I haven't been, but I did a little bit of Googling, storms like this are very common on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is um, it's an unusual body of water, we would say. It's relatively small. It's only 13 miles long. It's seven miles wide, but it's 150 feet deep. So if you ever go kayaking on it, don't fall out, just like I did in Tahoe, okay? That's a different story. The shoreline is 680 feet below sea level. And because it's below sea level, the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains. And it's susceptible to sudden storms. They're not uncommon. And the winds will sweep across the land and they'll come over the mountains and they'll sweep down and they'll whip up stuff. We'll combine those conditions with a thunderstorm that happened over the mountains and the water of Galilee can suddenly turn into this violent, violent storm. Just like that. The sea can be calm one minute. And the next, it's a savage beast that's ravaging all the boats. I also found something interesting on Google. It's not all bad. Storms like this one normally didn't occur at night. I find that very interesting. So as the disciples set out that night, there was no storm. They got in the boat. They got with Jesus. And they started a row. And the next thing... The storm arose. Isn't that how life is at times? It can be calm sailing one minute, or calm, calm sailing one minute. <laughs> I did actually put a little elastic there to say that right, and I still messed it up. One minute, everything's fine. And the world seems to be great. And as you close your eyes and you open them, it seems like you're fighting for your very life. 
One minute you can be enjoying fair weather and the next you find yourself in the middle of a horrible storm. If you ever go to Ireland, you will experience it. You will go out with shorts and t-shirts and come home extremely wet. One call, one phone call, one 24-hour period, one doctor's visit, one tick of the clock, and you're in the storm of your life fighting, as you would think, for your very well-being. And yet we're surprised. But the Bible tells us in multiple places that we shouldn't be. Think of Job 14.1. Go home and look it up. Man's life is short, but you know what? He's brought to trouble. John 16.33. Troubles will come. Christ told us about them. And yet we're still, what's happening? And the fact is, this morning, you're in one of three places today. You're either in a storm, just coming out of a storm, or you're heading into one. So this morning, it's part of our lives. Sudden storms are part of what makes us who we are. As I said, it shouldn't surprise us, yet it does. But this storm that the disciples were in, it continued. And it assaulted that boat until Mark tells us that the ship was taken on water. He tells us that this was a great storm. If we were to take that word bigger, it would be exceedingly loud and large and mighty. That storm was ferocious. Matthew tells us that it was a great tempest. The word tempest refers to what we would call a violent upheaval, like something like an earthquake. The waves were beating the ship. They were getting tossed to and fro. The disciples felt no stability. I have my feet on firm ground. They had nothing. They had no safety. They had no security. These men are terrified by the severity of that storm. But they're fishermen. They should be used to these things. And yet this storm was so intense that it filled them with terror. The ship, it's rocking and it's reeling. It's full of water. I don't know if they've got wooden buckets and they're trying to try to get it out, but there's more coming in than they're getting out. It was the middle of the night. They couldn't even see where the heck they were. They couldn't determine, are we close to shore? Are we far from shore? Who knows? They were in terrible danger. Look at verse 39 where it says, we perish. They thought this was it. Think of when they awoke Christ and they said, this thing's killing us. What are you going to do about it? But when storms come in our lives, not in a physical boat on a lake, but when storms come in, they fill us with fear and with worry. And sometimes those storms can blow in and we've got no warning. We go to bed last night and everything's fine and we get up this morning and we get a text from someone or we get a phone call or we get news. Perhaps suffering comes upon us. That was my week. Physical pain. And one problem arises after another. 
until it feels like that avalanche of pain and sickness that we can't get out of it. It's engulfing us. Sometimes it can be the storm of sorrow. Someone you know or a loved one is taken in death and it leaves you broken. It leaves you grief-stricken. It leaves you shaken by the loss. Sorrow indeed touches every life. Even us saints, it touches us too. And then, oh, there's a storm of sin. It rages within us and around us. And when sin enters our heart, it always comes in as that lovely, pleasant, calm breeze. And it promises us the best, but it soon displays its darker side. You younger people, take heed. Sin will rip through your life like a tornado. And it will leave damage and destruction that can only be repaired by one thing. The blood of Christ. Some are in that storm today. And the storms come and they bring with them fear. And they bring with them anxiety and they bring with them pain. But brothers and sisters and those of you who do not know Christ as your Savior, there's something you need to know this morning. There is not one storm, not one, that heaven cannot calm. Not one. There's no problem so big that Christ cannot fix it. But brothers and sisters and those who know him not, we have to come to him. We have to leave it with him. And we have to trust him. But this storm came for those disciples. And it came for a purpose. And that purpose was to teach these men to trust. Trust in Christ. Now the Bible doesn't tell us where the storm came from. And it's not my place to speculate either. But there was something unusual about this storm, we could say. So that's something of the realities of the storm. Then secondly, let's look at the realm of this storm. And I say this for the sake of repetition, the storm is real. Everyone in this room, I hope you understand that what you have on your knee or on your lap or on your device, it's not a storybook. It's not fables. These were real men at a real time in a real storm, panicking out of their wits, going, what in the world are we going to do? We're all going to die. These things are real. And that storm was real. And that storm was right in those disciples' faces. They couldn't miss it. It was right there. They were soaked to the skin, as we would say. The waves were breaking over the boat. The boat was filling with water. They're thinking, what? We're going to drown here. And they're struggling. See, there's nothing to pretend about this storm. It was real. And when storms come into our life, we feel them too. They shake us to our very core. Sometimes they touch our flesh and we feel it. 
Sometimes they touch our heart and we feel it. They rock our minds and it, we feel that too. And these storms are very real. And they batter us. And they bruise us. And they wear us down. And they leave us broken and wounded. And the storms of life are like the storms a disciple faced. They hit us, like I said before, like a boxer in the 12th round. It's like, man, I can't take another blow. Yet the greatest danger the disciples faced that night was not physical. That real storm was not the storm that battered the boat. That storm, the real storm that they faced that night was the storm that struck them at their very heart. The storm of unbelief. That storm hit their very faith. Think of what they said to Christ. Teacher, do you not care? They accused the Lord of not caring about what they faced. But why did they have this doubt? They had already seen this Christ, this compassionate Savior coming in good time. Heal people. If you read from Mark 1, to Mark 2, 12, you'll see the many things that Jesus did. And now they're faced with a storm that they can't control. And guess what? They're afraid. They should have known. They should have known that a puff of wind on a little pond couldn't thwart sovereign omnipotence. Do you know what their problem was? Their problem was this, that they were looking at their situation, their situation and not their Savior. They had their eyes on the problem and not on the problem solver. And we've been just like that. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. There's been times when storms are raging in our lives and perhaps we've questioned God's concern for us. You might not have said it out loud, but I'm sure there's times in your mind and in your flesh you've cried out, Lord, don't you care about what's happening to me? Or does the Lord really love me? He cares more than we can ever imagine. Hebrews 4 says this, For we do not. Man, if there was a verse that I could have tattooed on the back of my eyeballs, this would be it. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And even that one verse would be enough. But in God's goodness, he gave us verse 16 too. He said, let us then with what? With fear, with trepidation, with worry, with anxiety. No, with confidence. Brothers and sisters, this morning, be confident in Christ. With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in what? In a time of need. 
He cares and he's working in your situation even though you might not see it. He's there. And while that storm was raging about the disciples, where's Jesus? He's fast asleep. And they run to him. And they, then they awake him. They shake him and they say, get up, come on. They went to where Jesus was and they shook him and they woke him up. And these men are terrified. I'm sure when Christ looked into their eyes, they're as big as saucers. And they're worried and they're all wet. And they ran to him and they cried out, we're perishing. But remember something. Jesus said, we're going to get to the other side. It was Jesus who sent them out onto the sea in the first place. These men had left everything to follow Christ. And now what they're thinking in their mind is, he's led us into this impossible situation. Brothers and sisters, Jesus didn't save you from your sins to abandon you when times get tough. He's committed to you more than you're committed to him. If you were being honest, and if I was being honest, when the storms are raging, when your boat is rocking and reeling, and when that wind is blowing harder in your face than you know how to handle, run to him. He will hold you. Not he will hold you. He is holding you. You're in the palm of his hand right now. And if you are his, you will never be forsaken. I get in now, walk out that door, and we should all be singing hallelujah as we walk as well. Christ is everything. The Lord Jesus Christ is committed to you if you are his. He is your sure and steady anchor. We didn't sing that second hymn for no reason. I picked it. Thank you for the uh, opportunity to pick a hymn. When you're working with boats all week in this, and they say, hey, what would you like to sing? Well, there's only one song. And it was you guys that introduced it to me, so thank you. The city of Jerusalem once fell. Because it was forsaken by the Lord. But in Isaiah 49, this is, what, this is what happens. There's a conversation. It says, But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. How often is that you? Can a woman forget her suckling child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget. Yet, yet will I not forget thee. Sometimes I like the King James Version. These and these are great. Behold, I have given thee upon the palm of my hand. We are in the palm of his hands. If the Lord would love that nation of Israel whom he had redeemed out of Egypt, how much more will he love and protect his own church? His own people, those who he has redeemed by his own blood. He's committed to you. Are you committed to him?
Remember 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We, as saints in Christ, have his power to help us get to heaven and home. Those disciples need not have feared. Verse 35 clearly says, Out of Christ's own mouth, let us pass over to the other side. Christ already told these men what was going to happen. He told them even before the journey had started that they were going to get to the other side. If they had believed his words, they would have been able to laugh, laugh in the face of that storm. But that's just like us. We use Romans 8, 28 a little bit too much. But not enough. All things. All things work together for good. Think of those passages in Matthew 6 when, and Luke 12. That he's promised that what? He will take care of us. Brothers and sisters, if we would learn to take him at his word, then we too could face storms without fear. We would understand who controls the storms. Even when trials and tribulations come, we could still have peace. And while those winds would beat against us, we'd know that indeed he is our sure and steady anchor. He'll never be moved in any way. But yet we need to hear it over and over and over again. Because guess what? We're just like that sponge. And like a bucket full of holes. We lose it. That's why coming here Lord's Day after Lord's Day after Lord's Day is what you need and what I need. It's where going into people's homes and having devotions together. It's where fathers doing family worship. It's where praying, men and women praying together. That's what you need. That's what I need. Why? Because we leak like a sieve. And we need that pouring in and pouring in. Brothers and sisters, we have the words of God in our own language. Just yesterday I was reminded of how many languages that don't have God's word. We are a privileged people. And yet how flippant we are with God's word. Sometimes it can sit and collect dust. We've got more Bibles than we have hands to hold them. We need to be men and women of God's word in these days. Faithful. Faithful men. Faithful women. Faithful young people. This past couple of months I've been reminded of my own childhood. It's wonderful when you're far from home, you start to reminisce a little bit as you get older. I'm not that old, okay, before you all are like, what age is he? 
never tell anybody your age. But I've been reminded of my childhood and how, how gracious and kind God was to me to have faithful Christian parents who were faithful to me. And I remember as a young kid hearing a wee Scottish guy who you may know preaches down the road a little bit, IBC, instructing fathers not to make their sons or daughters doctors, brain surgeons. I don't know what other big highfalutin jobs there are around here from Ireland. We're farmers. We don't do a lot. But instructing them not to be what the world would want them to be, but to be what Christ would want them to be. We have a responsibility, all of us, grandparents. Okay, Mr. Castanelli, I'm looking at you because I know you're a grandparent. I don't know a lot of the rest of you, but grandparents, parents. Look at how many kids are in this room. God is good, really good. We have to teach them. We have to instruct them. They have to see in our lives that Christ is our anchor. They have to see that even though storms come, that trials come, that we are not wavering, that we are standing firm on the promises of God. We just sung it. we got to live it. God is everything, and he is our everything, and we have to show that next generation the same. So I'm encouraging you, instruct them, get with them. Yes, at times it can be annoying. I have a three-year-old with red hair. That should tell you everything you need to know about that child, okay? But I have to teach him about Christ, even though it, he does that at me when I'm doing it. I just have to keep doing it. We have to faithfully teach our children. Okay, thirdly, what were the reasons for this storm? And this is where it gets practical for all of us. What were the reasons? Well, as you know and I know, there are all different types of storms that we face. We could sort of underline them or put them in three categories. There are storms of correction. There are times, sometimes God will send a storm into our lives to turn us back to him when we wander away. Think of Pilgrim and Bypath Meadows when he wandered away and what happened. He got locked up for a while and got beat up, but he made his way back. There are storms of perfection. Man, I'm sorry again, but you're very prideful. I am. That's one of the things that men struggle with is pride. And women can do it as well, but I know in men that's one of our big ones. Sometimes Christ or God will use the storms of life to help us to be more like Christ. He'll, he'll burn away all that dross, all that pridefulness. He'll humble us. And then there's storms of instruction. Sometimes God will use storms in our lives to teach us new ways of understanding him. And he uses those storms to help us to come to know him much better. All of God's storms for God's people are designed to make us grow. They're not to keep us in the depth or to make us grow. And they're designed to make us more like Christ. But as I read through this and, and 
did those three, in, in my opinion, the storm that these guys faced was a storm of instruction. The Lord was using this storm, and he's using it to teach them and us this morning more about himself. It was about to display certain sides of his character that they'd never seen before. And that storm and that night, they learned some valuable lessons. They learned that Christ is all-powerful. He's all-sovereign. And he's the creator of all things. They learned that he is Lord of all. The storm that so terrified these men to think they were going to die, a simple word calmed it or calmed it. When he did, the, the winds fell silent and the sea became, as it were, a, a sheet of glass. And that storm that raged and was beating upon them disappeared. That storm was as easy for him as it was for healing the sick, casting out devils and all other manner of things that he'd done before this point. And that the Lord who calmed that sea by the word is the same God that we've come to worship this morning. The storm that you have in your life that you think, oh my goodness, there is no solution. There is. Your storm is no problem for him. If it's in his will, he can silence it with a word. But he might desire that storm to rage on just a little bit longer. But when he does this, when we're in the midst of the storm, what are we to do? Trust him. He is well and he is able to protect us in the midst of any storm. A few years ago, because I actually went back and looked it up, three years ago, I preached here a sermon on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three men who went into a what? A furnace, bound into the midst of what, if we were taking it into today's passage, into a storm, a storm that was going to kill them. What happened? There was a fourth person showed up. Think of Daniel in the lion's den. Think of those ferocious lions who they don't feed an awful lot, so when people get chucked in, it doesn't take long to chew them up. Well, what happened? Their mouths were shut. Again, another storm. When Jesus came to see, they were amazed, and they said, Who is this? What a question to ask. Who is this? They had learned that night that he is the one who is in control of every puff of wind. Every angry storm, he is in control of it all. They passed over. They got to the other side, just as he said. Christ will not back away from any of his promises. That Bible you have on your lap is full of them. Read it. Read it and find hope. He is God. He can be trusted to keep his promises to his people. 
But while those disciples are terrified and waiting to die, what is Jesus doing? It's almost like a slap across the face for these men. He's asleep. He knows, Christ knows that he is in the very center of his Father's will. He knows that he will die on a cross, not in the grave of water. He can sleep. And he can rest his head on that cushion, as the Bible says, during a storm because of what? He trusts his heavenly Father. He is peace because he trusts his God. We need to do the same. I told you it was a hard week. A difficult week. Why? Because I didn't trust God for some things. It's not often a preacher just opens up that. These men who stand up here are just men like you. We're not perfect. We have struggles. We have strains. We have difficult situations. Pray for these men. In a day when God's word, as it were, is being trampled underfoot, you have faithful men who preach God's word here each and every week. They don't do it on their own strength. They can't do it on their own strength. They need the help of Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Pray for them. If you don't know what to pray for them about, go ask them. We need to be able to trust in God. We should trust in God that when hard times come, when difficult days come, we can say this verse. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Or Philippians 4.13 when it says, I can do all things. All things through Christ who strengthens me. Why did the Lord send that storm and, and take those men through it? It was them to teach them that Christ is everything and they are nothing. It would have been nice if after chapter 1 and 2 that these men could, as it were, laughed in the face of that storm, but that wasn't how God intended it to be. You know, if Jesus can heal a leper and cure Peter's mother-in-law and cast out devils and heal the guy with the palsy and forgive his sins, then I'm sure he can take care of this storm too. But their minds didn't go there. It focused on themselves. And so he sent them through the storm. But what about us? What about you and me? We have our Bible and we read it and we see what God can do. And yet at times we've got unbelief. 
We need to be men and women who trust in our great God. We need to lean on him. We need to take him at his word. When they get off that boat, if you keep reading, who showed up? The demon-possessed man. And I wonder, after that storm, if those men doubted. They saw this crazy guy coming, with no clothes on, coming at them. I wonder, did they think to themselves, ooh, what's going to happen here? I hope they thought to themselves, Christ got this. When they saw Jarius, who we looked at a few months ago, come for help for his daughter, and even when they heard the words, Jarius, your daughter's dead, I hope they thought to themselves, I know that Christ can take care of this. Sometimes he, stand, he sends a storm to educate us and to, t- to teach us to trust him. His purpose isn't to hurt us, it's to make us more like himself. God has reasons for sending storms into our lives. It's not our duty to try and figure out why, why are we there. Our duty is to trust him. And to do what's right in that situation in our lives. And yes, trust me this week, I know that's a tall order. But what relief when you get on your knees and you lay it all out before him. And you've got peace that only he can give. And as we conclude, believers were in a rocky boat. We need to remember that all of us, every one of us in this room, at some point will go through a storm. We're all in the sea, we're all in our boats, and we're all voyaging together. But we need to be reminded that Christ is with us in that vessel. Having Christ in that vessel makes all the difference. The disciples were able to call on him in their time of need. We too can do the same. They were able to see him move in power because he was with them. They were able to experience that peace that can only come from him. But I ask you the question, is he in your vessel this morning? If he isn't, how do you weather these storms? But of this whole sermon, you've been sitting there and you've gone, Merv, would you hurry up, son? We got one guy who thinks it. <laughs> Perhaps you're sitting there and you're going, I haven't time for this. Sorry to tell you, the Olympics are over, so there's no sport on. Perhaps you're sitting there and you you may not say it, but you'd rather have your sin than you'd rather have Christ. There will come a time if you stay in that situation that Christ will say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. If you don't turn to him in faith and your boat is shipwrecked and your life is lost to that storm of death, Where are you going to dock? 
I know your answer. And it's an answer people don't like to talk about today. It's hell. Hell is a reality. Hell is a real place. It's a place where judgment is. There's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, the Bible tells us. Today, come to him. Run to him. If you do nothing else today, run to Christ. Some of us believers need to do the same thing, not for becoming a believer for the first time, but we need to come back and realize that he is our everything. He's in our vessel. We need to worship him. If storm clouds have gathered and if fierce winds have begun to batter you, and they have, then reach out to Christ. The third stanza of that song says this, Christ the sure and steady anchor through the floods of unbelief. Hopeless somehow, O my soul, now lift your eyes to Calvary. This my ballast of assurance. See his love forever proved. I will hold fast to the anchor, and it never it shall never be removed. Christ assurance said the anchor as we face the wave of death. When these trials, when these storms, when these difficult days give way to glory, and I hope they come soon, and as we draw our final breath, we will cross that great horizon. Clouds behind and life secure, and the calm will be the better for the storms that we endured. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. We do thank you that at times you take us through storms to make us more like you. We ask in these days that we would take our eyes off ourselves, take our eyes even off the storms and the trials and look to you, the one who can help us. We pray for those this morning who know you not. Lord, in mercy, show grace. Save. Make this a day of salvation. Make this a place of salvation that we could come and worship you, the great God that you are, you tell us there is nothing that you cannot do. And so this morning we come and we say, show us your power through the work of salvation. Save some of these young people. Dear Lord, we pray for our week. Go before us. Help us. Storms will come. Trials will come. Help us to be reminded that you indeed are our sure and steady anchor and the only one that we can find rest in. Dear Lord, help us in all these things, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.